0: Hi, I'm Don Mackey, and welcome to the Pathways to Rural Prosperity podcast. This show is focused on providing strategies to empower community success and vitality. Each episode will feature interviews with cutting edge rural development thought leaders and community practitioners, remarkable entrepreneurs from business, government, and nonprofits, and by sharing the learnings of E2 entrepreneurial ecosystems. Connect with me, learn more about E2, and subscribe to this show at energizingentrepreneurs.org. Welcome to this episode of Pathways to Rural Prosperity podcast. This is Don Mackey with E2 Entrepreneurial Ecosystems, and I'll be your host today for our podcast. And I'd like to introduce a friend and a colleague, Chris Harris with the Ewan Marion Kaufman Foundation. Chris, welcome aboard today. Hi, uh, good morning. Thanks for having me. Well, we're so glad you could make time to do this. Of course, with our work with E2, which before that was the National Center for Rural Entrepreneurship, a long history with the Kauffman Foundation, we kind of consider the foundation along with the Rural Policy Research Institute as our parents over 25 years ago, approaching 30 years ago, and it's great to be working with the Kauffman Foundation again. And today's topic, folks, is what we're calling the Kauffman Foundation's Heartland Initiative. And that's kind of a bucket for a, a focus on America's heartland. And so, but before we get into that topic, Chris, I always like to have our guests just share a little bit about your journey. As you've worked in community economic development, I think it helps folks kind of connect with you. And so, if you will, share your uh, the highlights of your journey in this work.
1: Absolutely. I always start with the point that I am a lifelong
0: Kansan, actually
1: a lifelong rural Kansan. Uh, I took a small detour when I lived in Lawrence for my undergraduate degree at KU, but for my entire life, I've lived in, in rural Kansas. I was born in Dodge City, lived in Scott City, Hayes, Hoisington, Salina. Some people would argue with me that Salina may not be particularly rural, but I would classify it as rural. And now I live Uh, Between Ottawa and Lawrence in rural Douglas County, and my wife, who also is a lifelong rural Kansan, we are raising two new Kansans here in in, uh, this part of the state. And that really is a centering point for where I've been and where I'm going, which is that I want to make rural America and rural Kansas uh, a great place to live that people choose to be a part of. I graduated uh, at the beginning of the recession in 2008 with a degree in history and which is, you know, in retrospect, was a great idea because <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, the history degree is actually really useful because you understand how people and institutions work, but it would feel like a great idea when you graduate in 2008. But shortly after that, I, I got a job, uh, an entry-level job at the Kansas Department of Commerce doing you know, some grant work, I worked with some great people. Uh, what I didn't realize at the time is that I had started that job. At a very interesting time, it was just a year before another uh, election, uh, new administration. So I got a front row seat of what that means in state government when you have a administration change. And, I, you know, I joke about this now, but I think there's some validity to it. <laughs> I think I was so young and almost inconsequential at the time that they forgot to fire me. <laughs> I stuck around and took over a lot of programs. Um, I mean, obviously, it was a difficult time that kind of change is not ever easy, but I did get to learn a lot. I took over a lot of grant programs from the community service tax credit program to angel investor to you know, all sorts of things. And But the most important thing I got to do was, you know, I, I just started traveling around the state and uh, meeting people. You know, so I've been to 95 of the 105 counties in Kansas. And you just learn a lot about challenges and problems and how people make progress on those challenges. Fast forward a little bit, get to 2015, the Coffin Foundation was looking for Someone to come on board and launch a new grant program in entrepreneurship. Uh, at the time, they were looking to find like national groups, national nonprofits that were supporting entrepreneurs and help them expand. I came on board to launch that program, and um, over the years that we've pivoted and you know moved it in different ways until today. You know, a couple years ago, about two years ago, no, actually two and a half, the foundation took part of their their strategy and focused, focused that strategy on the Heartland, the states of Missouri, Iowa, Nebraska, and Kansas which I know we'll get into, but um, you know, now I lead rural entrepreneurship strategies as part of that Heartland work. It feels like it's all come kind of full circle, which is exciting.
0: Yeah, yeah. And just for our audience, so you kind of started in Western Kansas, worked your way east, and I would agree, you know, what Salinas may be 50,000 people. I always had some fun where i would be working in a community of five thousand, and i would refer to them as rural and they go no we're a city and i'd go well internationally most folks are going to conclude that you're rural and it's not a bad thing it's not an insult these perspectives are important as we think about doing this work how people see themselves but also how others see us so let's talk a little bit about the foundation and the new initiatives as I was preparing for this, I found my little book, Mr. K, The Philosophies of Mr. Ewan Marion Kaufman, The Simple Truths from a Remarkable Entrepreneur and Philanthropist. And I was doing a little bit of research on Marion Labs. Of course, when I first started getting funding from the Kauffman Foundation a long, long time ago. Jay Kane, who was then with the Kauffman Center for Entrepreneurial Leadership, it was kind of mandatory. You had to study, study Mr. K. And so this was one of the resources he gave. But, you know, a remarkable entrepreneur in his own right, endowed with his wife, the foundation. I'd be interested to have you in your uh, employment with the foundation spent some time looking at some of the uh, wit and wisdoms of Mr. K, and and is there any favorite ones that uh, are, are top of mind?
1: You know, I don't, I don't want to retread any of the things. I think I encourage everyone to go out and read the book because they'll tell it much better than I can. There are a lot of things that I appreciate about Mr. Kaufman that I keep going back to. Obviously, he was a tremendous entrepreneur. You know, Marion Labs and and that story and and the Royals and everything. That as an entrepreneur and as a philanthropist, he has transformed lives in Kansas City and the region going way back. And because of the work that the Kauffman Foundation does, that continues, keeps going. Um, and, and that's why we're talking, actually, you know, that we want to reach Kansas City, the Frontline region, nationally want to make, make an impact. But I think for me, what I most appreciate about Mr. Kaufman is that, you know, we associate him with Kansas City, but what I appreciate about him is that he is actually from a small Missouri town, he's from Garden City, Missouri. And uh, which we actually, as a, as a team, we've visited before. It's very much a, I think there's like 1,200 people that live in Garden City, Missouri. And it feels like any other small town that you would visit in Missouri or Nebraska or Kansas. I can't help but think that that perspective, that experience directly influenced how he approached his work in Marion Labs, how he approached his work uh, with the Royals and it kind of fueled some of that philanthropic spirit. And it, it helped provide some, like it, it, like it connected with, it resonated with me because it helped close the circle, right? That like giving back to community, that's what we do in rural communities. And it makes sense once you see it.
0: Yeah. And I think there's a powerful lesson. One of the things that as we talk about how to fund entrepreneurial ecosystem building in rural America, which is our focus, we really encourage communities to look at their successful entrepreneurs. And you know, right now we're working in Oregon with the Ford Family Foundation. Uh, The Ford Family created an amazing enterprise around the Pacific Northwest's forest resources with mills and harvesting and value-added products. And then in the 1950s, left a huge endowment to the foundation that now supports community economic development work in Northern California and throughout rural Oregon. And it's the same kind of story as Mr. K, this idea that successful entrepreneurs can be a source of funding for this work because they love entrepreneurship. They love their communities. They just need a value proposition to kind of trigger that giving. Well, let's let's dig down a little bit. You've alluded to the Heartland Initiative, which is kind of, I, I know there's a number of specific programmatic names and we can get into some of those. You know, like you, I'm a, a I love history, but I'm also a geographer, and I've always made the case that Kansas City is kind of the big city in this four-state region of uh, Nebraska, Kansas, Iowa, and Missouri. And so... Talk a little bit more about why the foundation is focusing on this four-state region with with a set of initiatives. I think that would be of interest and potential value to other foundations like the Ford Family Foundation or Benidom in Appalachia that have a very strong regional as well as national focus.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, like I said earlier, this is still relatively new for us. You know, the decision was made in 2019, to make this pivot to focusing on the heartland. And, and I should add that this isn't the entire focus of the foundation. So we have national work and research and policy and ecosystem building, but this is a significant part of our work in entrepreneurship focused on these four states. And, you know, twenty the rest, the second half of 2019 was really getting to know people and researching the challenges. And then obviously 2020, the pandemic hits and everything that we thought we knew, we had to learn again. And then 2021, 2022 present even new challenges. But Take all that back to say that this is still new, which is exciting. I would say, you know, you mentioned geography. I think we could do a whole other episode just about like talking about how we define the heartland. I think if you talk to 20 different people, 20 different institutions, you'll get 20 different answers as to what that is. You include the upper Midwest, you include places like Texas and Oklahoma and Arkansas. For us, we landed on Missouri, Iowa, Nebraska, and Kansas for, I believe, a couple of reasons. One, these are the four states that geographically directly surround Kansas City. And if you think Kansas City as our anchor, these are the four states that, that kind of feed uh, or are anchored by Kansas City in a way. And I think also, you know, we've done a lot of national work over, huge, you know, huge regions. And, and I'm not saying that this four state isn't region isn't large, but it is a little bit more manageable. It gives us an opportunity to go deeper and and build more complex partnerships, sustain work on a longer term basis. And that's exciting. We're not just acting as a funder that drops in once and then leaves. We we have some some skin in the game, right? So the idea is definitely go deeper. I mentioned in 2019 we spent time traveling around the region. I think I hope we get a chance to talk about that a little bit and what we learned. You know, we visited Ord and in your neck of the woods, and we visited all four states actually, and visited stakeholders and groups across the region. And it really reinforced a lot of what we hoped we would get the chance to work on, which is starting to come together in what we're calling the inclusive prosperity framework at the Kauffman Foundation, which essentially, if you boil down our strategy and our strategic goals into really two: it's inclusive prosperity and it's transitioning the region from traditional economic development models to one that's led by entrepreneurship and innovation, and they're kind of linked. You know, when we say inclusive prosperity, we mean we want to create the conditions, the ecosystem in which any person from any background, from any place, can start and grow a business. There are a lot of things that feed into that, but that's the goal. And kind of parallel to that and linked to that is this idea that this goal of transitioning the region from that traditional economic development model, which as you and I both know, is like focused on recruitment and retention of large businesses, and I'm not saying that that doesn't have a role to play, yeah. uh, but we also know that the majority of net new job creation comes from new and young businesses, and there's a little bit of an imbalance as to what types of businesses get supported in terms of public incentives and things like that, and so we're trying to transition it to focus more on supporting entrepreneurs?
0: You know, just to put a, a thumbtack on on the point you made, first of all, we celebrate the direction that the foundation's going, not because I live in Nebraska, but that's part of it. But I, I, I just think this kind of serious focus on a geography to create transformative change, uh, empower that is just really exciting. And, you know, to illustrate your point about diversity, one of the hallmarks of the org story, and we'll talk about your visit to Ord a little bit later, is, you know, we looked at $100 million of deal flow that they generated in roughly a 20-year period in a community of 2,000. And 80% of that were by entrepreneurs who probably 10 years ago, the community wouldn't have supported speaking to diversity. Women, new residents, people of color, young people- it really spoke to the fact that their entrepreneurial talent was much more diverse than they have historically supported. And by providing support for that diversity, they have empowered a really much more dynamic economy. And so it just speaks to that. So let's go a little deeper. I think you had a little bit of a uh, role in this, but there is this initiative called central standards. And before we get into it, um, I'd like you to explain the name, because if people get up on your website, do some poking around, they're going to run across that term. It's probably clear to you and I, because we live in this part of the country, but share for our national audience, what's the the significance and the meaning behind that name?
1: Absolutely. Well, first of all, I I just like that you like the name. (laughs) Because it is never easy naming a program or something like that, that like, it's easy to understand internally, easy to communicate externally. I have to first give credit to um, Melissa Roberts Chapman, my colleague, because she first came up with the name and we kind of considered it a placeholder. And then I said, actually, I, I think I really like this name. And, and to give a little context to everyone listening, um, Central Standards is one of our major RFPs or request for proposals. So uh, you know, we're requesting proposals for grants that we would make to organizations supporting entrepreneurs in the Heartland region, in the 4 state region. When we say Central Standards, the inspiration for the name is like literally Central Standard Time. What we mean by that is it's a partnership. I should say it's a partnership. RFP. We're funding organizations to come together with national groups and with other heartland-based nonprofits to support entrepreneurs. And at the core of it, we want to support equitable partnerships and partnerships that work in the heartland, support the heartland on the heartland's terms, i.e. Central Standard Time. Essentially, they set the standards for what the work needs to be, who is empowered and who is supported by it. And there's also a brewery in Wichita, the Central Standard Brewery that I'm a big fan of. <laughs> so, I always well, so there's go. a little hidden story here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you ever find yourself in Wichita, it's a great time. That essentially is the spirit of that program. And it's currently open. I should add, uh, we're accepting applications for uh, essential standards grants up until May 20th. We may funding decisions on a rolling basis. So if you have a partnership or a program in mind that would help support uh, ecosystems in the region, would help support entrepreneurs, uh, we'd love to hear it. You can go to our website uh, org, go to uh, work how to work with us I think is the title and it'll take you right to the page.
0: Yeah, and we can drop that with the newsletter when we do the release of the podcast. So, kind of going further, of course, we're really excited. One of the grants that the foundation has made out of the Central Standards Program is to the Nebraska Community Foundation to bring entrepreneurial communities to Nebraska. And of course, as a lifelong Nebraska resident, I'm so excited because this is something I've been wanting to see happen for decades. And of course, In the last couple of years, we finally have brought SourceLink to Nebraska with Nebraska SourceLink, now over 600 resources. Uh, Kathy Lang with the Nebraska Business Development Center is leading that effort, hired a great staff. And so, you know, some personal dreams are starting to happen as I've looked at what's happened in Kansas City and Kansas with Network Kansas. But I'm, I'm interested in as part of the Heartland Initiative, as part of Central Standards, why is the foundation interested in entrepreneurial community initiatives? And obviously, you've had exposure to what's occurred with Network Kansas, but I'd be interested in your take on why you think that is one way to energize entrepreneurship, transform development in in the four-state Heartland region.
1: Yeah, Absolutely. I was really excited that we were able to fund like last year was the first year of Central standards grants that we did in the entire program and one of the very first ones we made was the uh, et work i'm just really excited that that, that is up and running and i think you know some of the things that really resonate with us about that model about the e-communities model that it well first of all it's built on local empowerment you know it's about local committees making local decisions connecting those dots, helping entrepreneurs get started and move forward. It's the exact opposite of that model where you see large institutions come in and try to solve all the problems. It's, it, it's about empowering local people, the resources they need, and then we take the, they take the leadership position we follow and support. And, and you know, at its core, it's really about getting assets and power to local ecosystem builders. And that is very much in line with what we think needs to happen on a mass scale. Another thing that resonates with us about it is that it's flexible and ultimately we hope can be more inclusive because because we're empowering local people and because they know their communities better than we ever will, if they're also empowered to make change, they can you know change representation on the committees or change up who's in the pipeline to receive funding or something like that or training or whatever it is. They can mirror the changes that are happening in their community demographically and economically, which is exciting. Um, so it's a really flexible model. And it's also, it's flexible in the short-term, it's also long-term, right? Like, it, you know, you're building uh, local knowledge and, and capacity to do this work. And it's something that requires a long-term commitment, not a huge commitment in terms of funding, but a long-term commitment in terms of support and, and partnership. And that's something we, we need to move away from quick fixes. And this is very much in that, in that spirit.
0: Well, a couple of observations. First of all, the initiative that the foundation is supporting with the Nebraska Community Foundation, and we should, I guess, disclose that we're a proud partner in this work, is E3. It stands for Energizing Entrepreneurial Ecosystems. And there's six communities in the first cohort. And, you know, I'm happy to report that All six have made tremendous progress in the last six months, and we're getting ready to convene again, and they're going to kind of pivot from discovery around opportunities to setting priorities and beginning to invest in how they can work with entrepreneurs entrepreneurial ecosystem investments, but also kind of playing to the preferences of this community that's organized through the Nebraska Community Foundation that are also focusing on investments in community building. How do we build better schools, housing, et cetera, that creates the environment for the entrepreneurs, their families, and and the like? You know, on your point about diversity, just uh, to share an interesting experience, we did a a session in Sydney, which is one of the communities uh, that's being supported by this work. And of course, Sydney went through a very traumatic experience when Cabela's, which is headquartered in this community of 6,000 in Western Nebraska, was bought by Bass Pro Shop. The corporate headquarters got emptied out. At one time, there were nearly 500 houses on the market as people had left the community. A real shock. What was interesting, though, is we had noticed that Sydney's population was back to where it was before Cabela's contracted. And so we had this conversation and we said, what happened? Well, because again, they had nearly 500 houses on the market. They now have a housing shortage again and over 400 families had moved from outside Sydney into Sydney, primarily from the front range of Denver because there was housing availability. And the community was now beginning to say, we need to talk to these folks because they're somehow making a living. They probably have economic connections to other places, and they're discovering that those new families are much more diverse than the resident population was. And so again, it's kind of peeling back that onion, but it's an interesting discovery to say there was a crisis because we had housing, it created an opportunity. And now there's a deeper entrepreneurial opportunity because we have these new people in our community. Anyway, I thought it it kind of speaks to your point that how this stuff can be a little circuitous, but can lead to opportunity.
1: I love that story because again, it goes back to, they had the flexibility and the capacity to adjust, to make change and to embrace like a difficult situation and, and make it into a really great situation. That's, that's awesome.
0: Yeah. And the entrepreneurial team in Sydney is primarily local entrepreneurs and man, they have juice. It, it'll be fun to see where they go. Well, Chris, we're starting to run out of time, but I do want to come back to Ord with one final question. And so when you were, uh, you know, you and the foundation team did your initial Road trip through the four states as you were formulating uh, these initiatives, you spent an evening in Ord, and we had a group of people that Bob Stoll pulled together from the community, and would just love to get some of your takeaways from that experience in Ord. Then we'll move to wrap up and talk about some resources and how people can learn more.
1: Absolutely. Well, that was a that was a great visit. Uh, honestly, it. So this would, that would have been November of 2019, I think, is when that happened, and it really was instrumental. It informed a lot of, especially on the rural components of the Heartland strategy uh, in the next couple of years. It informed a lot of what we hope to achieve, and hope to replicate, and help others, you know, benefit from. You know, there's been a lot said about ORD, and a lot, you've done such a tremendous job about telling that story. But you know, if I could pull out a couple of things, two or three things that really stuck out to me, the, the first one was. And this is what I observed when I was there. The first thing that was really exciting was the diversity of stakeholders that were engaged. You know, we had everyone from the community foundation, the statewide community foundation, universities, you know, local leaders, entrepreneurs, Bob, the local state lawyer, who is a critical ecosystem builder there and leader in, in org. Uh Everyone was there, and everyone had a role, and everyone knew they were included, and that their voices were heard, and that was. It's, it's a really hard thing to achieve, but a really critical thing to achieve. And it was really evident that they had. Another thing that really stuck out to me was, you know, we did that tour around the community and I've toured hundreds of towns in different roles. And, you know, sometimes there's like an air of concern or worry about how are we going to replace something that's left or lost or shrank in some way, trying to reach back to some past, or it was the opposite. It was the excitement. Like, you know, yeah, there's an empty building there. This is what we're going to do with it. Or, you know, there's this entrepreneur that's thinking about doing something with that over there. And, you know, I've seen elements of that in other towns, but like not to the same degree that I saw in ord And that was really something to see. You know, something else that really resonated with me that, that we were also hoping to explore in the future is a lot of this was built on a foundation of adaptive leadership development in the community, you know, developing as many leaders, whether they're in, formal positions of authority or not in the community as they could. And I think that just really paid off, you know, just in the civic life of the community, like the number of bond issues they were able to get past and, and investments they were able to make in the community. That really stuck out to me as well. There's a lot to learn from there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it speaks to a couple of things that we probably could do another podcast on and we will down the road when i asked bob Stoll, did a podcast with him earlier this year i said if you had three pieces of advice to give to another community what would it be and of course he's that legacy leader along with a group of legacy leaders in ord that has really uh, driven transformative change he said number one leadership number two investment you- gotta spend money, and three, entrepreneurship. He didn't hesitate, he just laid those out and said, this is where you start, and I think that speaks to it we've been working with the Kansas Leadership Center on an initiative that you guys are supporting that's going to look at leadership and how that can empower communities. Um, So that's a topic I want to come back to as that gets unfolded uh, and begins to take shape, because they're getting ready to do a bunch of community conversations, right, in the four states?
1: All four states, and they want to do 20 communities across four states. I'll let them talk about that, but let's plan the to to do another uh, chat about that cuz i think i think that is a critical component
0: well and it speaks to bob's first advice if if you can create the right leadership environment in a the community, then a lot of things are possible. And so, um, so we're going to wrap up. Chris, I just want to thank you. But before we say our goodbyes, just remind our listeners, we have a whole set of resources that are accessible through our website, energizingentrepreneurs.org. There's a number of free resources there. You can join our National Practitioners Network and access all of our development framework resources. There's our monthly newsletter. And of course, you can sign up through your favorite platform for Pathways to Rural Prosperity podcasts. Chris and others have been so gracious with their time to be part of these. In terms of specific resources that we're going to share with this podcast, there'll be some information about the foundation, about the Heartland Initiative. And we're also going to share some information about Nebraska's E3 initiative. And so those will be some things that will give you additional information. And of course, we'll include the foundation's website and some navigation so that you can get on the Coffin Foundation. So Chris, in closure, uh, it's been great to have you as my guest today.
1: Well, I've enjoyed this and I hope we get to do it again sometime.
0: Oh, I'm sure we will. There's a lot of neat stuff happening. And so there's some great topics to talk about. So to our listeners, all our best to you and your efforts to grow a stronger rural America, one community at a time in your corner of this great continent. Thanks and take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Pathways to Rural Prosperity podcast. Head on over to energizingentrepreneurs.org, where you can subscribe to this podcast and tap into more than 25 years of field experience from E2 Entrepreneurial Ecosystems. I'm Don Mackey, and I'll see you next time on Pathways to Rural Prosperity podcast.